0: Good afternoon, folks. How we doing? Great to see you guys online. I cannot see you, but great to be with you as well. And uh, guys, we're going to be opening the Bible together. This is a very important book, by the way. This, uh, this we believe to be God's word. It's one of the reasons why, through our devoted uh, kind of season this year, we're really engaging and encouraging every single person across our whole community to be able to read through the New Testament and Psalms together every single day. And I don't know how you guys have been finding it. I've been loving it. And especially because of the fact that my kids have been engaging with it as well. And so oftentimes, kind of me and the children are up very early in the morning and we're kind of reading the Bible together and we're kind of exploring it. We're having the opportunity of praying. And uh, what's happening is that they're also asking me questions. questions, which at times I'm finding very straightforward, at times I'm finding slightly more difficult. Anyone else can relate? And so uh, there was an occasion just this last week, when Lexi was saying to me, he's like, oh, hold on, so he's talking about like a speck in your eye and then a plank in your eye. It's like, well, how does that all work? And we we're sat in the lounge doing it together. And so I said to her, look, you've got to imagine it like this. This was the best illustration I could come up in the moment. And uh, I said, look, imagine for a minute that you get really grumpy with your brother because he's left his dirty socks in the middle of the lounge. And yet we know what's going on on your bedroom floor where your clothes are scattered everywhere. So what he's saying is, look, don't have a go at him about his... We're not there at that picture yet, but that's all right. Um, don't worry about his, uh, his socks when you know how bad your lounge is upstairs, right? But at the same time, we're really enjoying engaging with these kind of things. And so I was actually... And this, for those of you who know me very well, will know it will be a regular occurrence. I was super nervous even coming up to this weekend. And so yesterday, kind of afternoon, I realized that my preach prep isn't finished. And, and I'm just... I, I say out to the family. I'm saying like, look, guys listen, I just don't know whether I can do this tomorrow. Does any of you guys want to preach? All right? Six, nine, and 11. Got a lodger as well. Philippa was there. Any of you guys want to preach? Oliver, straight away, six-year-old. He's like, Dad, I'll do it. He says, as long as you tell me what to say. Alas, Oliver, that's not going to help me. It's the thing I want to say that I'm going to struggle with right now. And then Lexi's like, Dad, you've got it. It's fine. Just tell them about the plank and the speck and make sure they've all got tidy bedrooms. And so... Lex's message to you right now is when you get home, make sure everything's in the drawers, away, and uh, in the wash basket if it needs to be. Is that all right? Listen, uh, we honestly believe that this word, you know, is God's word to us. It's living and it's active. It is his spoken word. It's God breathed, inspired by him. It teaches us. It corrects us. It brings us training. And uh, I've actually got to know it now also as a manual for life. Now, initially, when I heard someone use that kind of phrase for it to be a manual for life, my immediate reaction was, oh, that just sounds like a rule book. Surely that's so restrictive. Well, we're a real gaming family, right? And imagine for a minute I came down to your house and uh, decided to tip out the contents of a brand new game you've never played before all over the dining room table. And I was like, hey, great, you guys have a great time and left you to it. Well, they have no idea what they were doing, right? It's like, where do I put the pieces? How do I set up the board? What do these cards do? How many turns do we take and when and how? Of course, you can have so much fun when you start to have healthy parameters with which to live in, or when it comes to Lego, right? And so uh, oftentimes, if we have the Lego in our house, it's a very basic construction like this that my children maybe make. And of course, I'm the dutiful parent that says, wow, you've done so well. I think it's spectacular. Tell me about the blue brick, you know? And then, you know, you might look back at their entire pile and realize it's like this second photo, which is the one you saw a moment ago, right? And so oftentimes, this is the more the chaos that we have, but... There are also times, like that happened at this Christmas, when we're also given the manual. And this allows us to create something quite spectacular, like my son's dragon, by the way. Check this out! I know, very impressive. He's not here, so you don't need to give him a round of applause. However, however, it is quite spectacular. It's not just that I enjoy the creation that he's made, and he's followed these phenomenal instructions, but it's the pleasure on his face, which actually brings transformation. You know, God did not say do not commit murder because he's a spoil sport. (laughs) He did not say that we should not commit adultery because he wants to stop you having fun. Actually, God's Bible, God's word came to bring us life and life in all of its fullness. And here's the thing, you know, Jesus indeed rebuked people called the Pharisees, all right? Now, these Pharisees knew the scriptures inside out. They had memorized oftentimes entire books of the Bible, and yet he went to them and was like, you don't know what you're reading because even though you might know these things word for word, you don't realize that it points to me and it's in me that you have life. Let me illustrate it another way, okay? Okay. In 1989, I'm nine years of age, and my favorite game, or one of my favorite games at the time, was Top Trumps. Anyone else play Top Trumps? Still going now, don't be afraid. Now, at the time, I had a pack which was all about cars, and the the Star Trump, the Top Trump, was the Ferrari F40, right? Bright red, stunning, and I was so excited. This, at the time, was my absolute dream car. So imagine for a moment, okay, that uh, someone had decided to replace my very average seven-seater outside and gifted me the Ferrari F40, right? I'm really excited, I charge outside, I've grabbed hold of the keys, I've opened the door, I open the glove box and take out the manual. Now, inside that manual, I begin to study. I begin to learn all about the phenomenal things that happen with the Ferrari. And so I'm checking out horsepowers, I'm looking at cylinders, fuel capacity and maximum speeds. I'm kind of learning everything I possibly can, so much so, and I'm so into this, that I get myself a highlighter. And I start to highlight certain sections, so I really get into the depth of what the Ferrari can do. And then I'm thinking to myself, do you know what? I need to take this a step further. And so I I, I cut out little snippets and I start to paste them on my mirror at home so every morning I can make sure that I know that bit really well, right? But I I realized that this isn't going far enough yet. I so want to get into what the Ferrari can do that I decide to join the club. I get a cap, I get a coat on, right? My Ferrari coat. And then I'm gonna think I'm gonna join a club. And at this club, we're gonna be able to give speeches, maybe every Sunday morning, all around, what the Ferrari can do, right? And then I think to myself, do you know what? I've got one more step. I need to learn Italian. Because I need to learn what this original language was that the manual was originally written. How many people would know I've completely missed the point? Because the purpose of the manual is to be able to enjoy and drive the car. And the purpose of the Bible is to help us enjoy a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is what we're pursuing, guys. And this is when we come to a scripture like we're about to today, this is what we want to do. We want to invite him to say, come and have your way in our hearts. Come and speak to us and provoke us. And so we're going to walk through Galatians 6, which is our passage for today, or the first 10 verses of it. And I'm going to do it in four parts, guys. Four parts with four questions alongside them. Now, you've got a choice this morning, this afternoon, excuse me. And your choice is this. You could look at those questions and completely ignore them. You could think, you know what? I've sung some songs, I've had a great time, I've connected with some people, I'm going to go home because I need to get my dinner. Or, you could think to yourselves, you know what, I want to make the most of these questions and I want to chew on them, talk to my family about them. I want to ask the friends who came with me today about them in the car on the way home and over these next two days, really put them into practice and ask the Holy Spirit, by His grace, would start to move in our lives. That would be my encouragement to you. Are you ready to dive in? All right. Here we go. Galatians 1 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, and I love how it starts, by the way. We are a family. like Even the awkward uncles that we might have around the room. Guys, we are a family. And actually, God is working in every single one of us. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So the first question, which I would love for you to be writing down, scribbling on your phone, doing whatever you need to to think through, is how good are we at giving and receiving correction? Okay. Now, in an interactive way right now, I want you to shout back at me, because we're going to ask four questions, even of this first verse. Who, how, why, and what? So I'm going to ask you a question. You can shout back to me what you think the answer is based on that verse. Here we go. Who should be bringing correction, guys? Who should be bringing correction? Brothers and sisters. I see some more murmurings. Believers, those who are godly is what it says. So it's talking about us, right? Christians, those people who want to pursue God. It is a godly thing to do to both bring and receive correction. Do you know that? Because that is completely opposite to what the world is saying right now. The world screams out, you should be living by your own truth. Allow everyone their own choices. It's almost seen as a mark of respect, isn't it? To leave other people unknown. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't been ever alongside a busy road when someone's blindly walked into the middle of that road without wanting to do something about it. I want to speak truth, and I want to speak in love. The Bible actually hits differently, instead telling us that those who are, now listen to this, in the family of god and that's bits important okay who are in the family of god we should be trying to correct one another to help each other grow to avoid sin and to draw people gently back to god so second thing the how how should we be bringing correction gently and humbly you guys have now got the idea right we're looking at this passage we're picking out what it says we should be gentle and we should be humble Here's one reflection I've been having through the course of this week. I don't believe it's possible for us to kneel at the cross and confess that we too have sinned while looking down on other people around us. That means we shouldn't be brash, we shouldn't be arrogant, we shouldn't be proud. But when we speak to people in love, it should be gentle and it should be with humility. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that this term gentle is a really relative term. Someone might say one thing to you, and it might be, oh, that was lovely, I was so encouraged by what they said. Someone might say the same thing to me, and I might get, feel like I've been hit by a sledgehammer. Now, how do we deal with that? Well, in one respect, I would just encourage you to think, hey, how can we watch our own hearts? What is our motivation in the midst of this? Are we speaking with genuine love and concern for other people? Can we collectively, friends, be aware the people's circumstances behind the presenting challenge might well be very broken, and very dark, and they might need far more support than actually you firing something off to them deserves. Next question is, why should we be bringing correction? Anyone shout out? So there's some murmurings. We've got that right path, right path. I think it's the right path. Anyone else think it's the right path? To bring people onto the right path. Okay, that's the correct answer. so what we're not trying to do is go for right. I've got one up on this person I'm better than them I'm going to feel better about myself we're not trying to rub their nose in mistakes but our desire our hope our ambition is to restore them to the right path that's our goal and then finally then what should we be looking out for when bringing correction not to fall into temptation Paul's encouraging us to be aware if you like Let's be sensitive to the planks in our own eyes, Lexi, as we're thinking about the specks in other peoples. And let's be aware of the fact that we don't want to fall into those same things. Let me tell you two ways that's played out in my life. By by way of the example of a phenomenal lady that those of you who have been part of this church for a long time might remember. Her name was Zoe Joy. And uh, Zoe Joy was an absolute hero in this church. And um, she really sadly in her mid-40s went to be with Jesus. Sadly for us, she has benefited from it, no doubt. And, you know, I remember a couple of things when I think back to Zoe, right? The first of which is that she um, beautifully served the King's Arms Project for a long time. And because we were friends, there were occasions when I'd be in her house. And I remember her wearing a brand new spanking uh, blue King's Arms Project jumper with the uh, kind of logo embossed on her chest. And I was so impressed with these things. And I remember going to go in and, and, and not thinking through what I was about to do and pointing in and, pointing directly at her chest and saying, oh, I really like these. <laughs> you know those awkward moments? And Zoe being Zoe and having such a beautiful sense of humour didn't let me live it down. So every occasion when I saw her in that particular jumper or every occasion when I uh, kind of, sort of saw her or said anything awkward, I was always kind of just shrink a little bit and be like, don't put your foot in your mouth again. The second thing I remember about Zoe, you know, is that she was invited along to a fancy dress party that me and my, uh, the lads that I lived with at the time threw, kind of way back in something like 2008. And uh, uh, on this particular occasion, it was a fancy dress party. I was dressed as William Wallace and a uh, huge sword and all that jazz. And um, uh, she, though, a couple of weeks later, just kind of came around to see me. And uh, I remember her having the conversation and in such a delicate, loving way where she was like, oh, Steve, I just want to say thank you so much for, for inviting me to the party, and everyone seemed to have a great time, but can I just ask you about um, you know, why you felt it was necessary maybe to have all the alcohol that you did? Because at the time, I was thinking, yeah, oh, well, I'm fairly new Christian at the time and still working these things out, and you know, we just got, as I, I thought was the right thing to do, You know, crates and bottles, and you know, hey, everyone's going to have a really good time. But she lovingly, gently, with questions, Provoked me in order to think about, hey, why am I doing those things, and is that the healthiest way for me to live, and healthiest way for me to encourage other people to live? What she taught me, you know, over the years that we um, interacted was that actually you need to have though a relational bridge with strength in order to drive a heavy truck over it. Okay, now what that means is that if you want to have a difficult conversation with someone, you need to make sure that there's a strength of relationship in order to carry it but she was so good at investing in the bridge, investing in the relationship, that she was able to have difficult conversations with people. Because, of course, if you walk up to someone you don't know and start to criticize or critique or challenge, no matter how much love is in your heart, actually, you know that thing's going to break. It's a little bit like a bank whereby you need to make enough deposits of encouragement and support and love and time and attention so that when you want to make a withdrawal and have a difficult conversation, that you know that it can sustain it. There's this uh, principle that I would always encourage, that we encourage here at the church that says encourage in writing, but challenge in person. It's a really helpful thing for us to do. I I love the fact that I've got letters and text messages and emails that I've kept because of the fact that I know people have been encouraging to me. And yet when you do something in person, you can get tone and you can get context and you can fight for mutual understanding. This actually is where accountability works best. When you invite somebody in to have a conversation and you invite people in to keep you accountable on things. Now, for some who have been part of the church a long time, might think that, oh, accountability is stopping you from sinning. And, and you know what? That is part of it. I might say, Do you know, I'm struggling in this particular area of life. Will you help me? And yes, they're going to say, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to make sure that you've got the tools and the encouragement that you need. But it's also about drawing people out to be the very best, best versions of themselves, This is healthy accountability. Now, to test yourselves, I would encourage you to do what I did. And I actually asked my wife, I said to her, look, hey, babe, how how good do you think I am at receiving feedback? It turns out I'm not quite as good as I thought. (laughs) But for all of us to ask the question, for all of us to work out who are the people in your life who are speaking in with challenge and love, you can invite that, okay? You can ask people to do it. Let's move on to the next couple of verses. It says this, Share each other's burdens, and in the same way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are fooling yourself. You are not that important. (laughs) I love how direct Paul is in the midst of that. There's two parts to it in one respect. I would argue if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself, you're not that important. But I would also say, if you are too important that you think you don't need to be helped, you're fooling yourself, you're not that important. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not that important. <laughs> now that is, probably, that is probably the least encouraging thing I've ever asked someone to say to someone else. However, in my defense, in this context, it makes sense, all right? You're not that important. So, then my question that I want you to consider is this Are you helping bear others' burdens and allowing others to help you with yours? Let me tell you about a good friend of mine called Mike Green. There's a picture of him up behind me. I think it was around about 2009 when a very unusual thing happened to me at church one evening. Okay? And this hadn't happened before, to my knowledge, it hasn't happened since. But Mike came up to me at the end of this church meeting. And he knelt down, this is very strange, but he knelt down and he said to me, Steve, I feel like God has called me to serve you. I want to serve you and I want to serve the church. And by doing so, I want to serve God. Can I help? And in order to do that, he said, I want to only work four days a week. He's a phenomenal guy. He's an optician. So I'm going to work four days a week. I want to give a day a week to serving the church voluntarily. I thought this was amazing. Amazing he's willing to take a pay cut for him and his family and to serve us and to serve me and support me. And I thought, hey, maybe he's gonna do this for a term. And he's been doing it now for 15 years. And in that time, he's led courses for Alpha and Beta. He's taken countless people through baptism preparation. He and his wife do a phenomenal job at leading our fourth location in Bedford Prison. You can't visit unless something awkward happens they do a phenomenal job they have discipled so many people they have prayed they have served they've supported they've carried events they've invested in men's ministry they have discipled people and i don't think i could ever repay him he has been such a gift to me and not just in the practical things that he's done but in the way that he's cared and supported and encouraged me he was the first person who messaged me this morning to say i'm praying for you and um Every one of us, you know, will hit times in life that are rocky and that are challenging. And we need to be able to lean on people who, in the storms of life, are there for us. And he has. I've, honestly, embarrassing that it might be to say, I've probably lost count of the number of times that I've cried on his sofa. Even a couple of weeks ago, we go for this long walk, and in the midst of it, he's kind of like challenging me on something that i had done. And you know what? I want every single one of us to have people in our lives who love us enough to tell us the truth and love us enough to be there in the times of crisis, who are willing to carry each other's burdens. And I I trust that he says the same about me. Are we the people who are putting burdens on others or are we the people who can take them off? This is the key question for us. Let's be burden lifters, okay? Okay because this can happen emotionally, practically, spiritually, relationally. We're about 18 months into marriage when I'm having a conversation with Simon because of the fact that Philippa and I had kind of hit some a rocky patch and we needed some support. Our Communication was amazing. We had some kind of challenges we needed to work through and he was gracious enough with Caroline to say, hey look, come over. Let's have dinner together. Let's chat. Let's work some things through. And over a number of weeks, we were able to listen and to to put some things in place. And actually, you found so much victory on the other side of those honest conversations. It wasn't easy, actually, to ask for help. I felt vulnerable. It felt difficult. And yet, you know the beautiful thing is that we have the privilege now of sitting down with other married couples and sitting down with them at times and saying, hey, look... We've been there and we've seen it and we can help you. And why don't you think about this? And you see, oftentimes what God does, is that he even uses battlegrounds where other people have helped you in order for you to restore and help other people. It's a phenomenal thing. Now, just to say, it's not that Simon and Caroline can sit with everyone around the room, by the way. <laughs> what I will say is you've got to work out who are your people. Who are your people who you can be honest with, vulnerable with, who can share your burdens Sometimes this plays out practically, and I've had the privilege of making dozens and dozens of meals for people who are either sick or have new babies. It's just a practical way that we as a church family can support one another. Sometimes one of my most fun occasions are the times when people come and use me as a conduit to want to anonymously give to somebody else. Oh, it's so much fun. When there's a group, and they've all done this kind of whip around because they know someone's in need. I've given away hundreds and even thousands of pounds as I've blessed other people and said, this is because your brothers and sisters love you and want to support you in the midst of what you're going through. These are ways that we can practically support one another. Just to say, and I'm going to plea with you at this point, we have a phenomenal pastoral team in this church. Uh, men and women who are gifted professionals at helping others with very complicated situations. And their mission actually is that we, people wouldn't just find tea and sympathy, but they would help them find strength in God which I think is a phenomenal thing. But what I will say is that the vast majority of challenges that we're ever going to experience, we need to be served and support in our group life context. If you are not part of a King's Arms group, I would urge you, get part of a King's Arms group. There's going to be a sign-up window in the next two or three weeks, and um, we would urge you, get connected to one, because this is where people can love us and support us, and we can bear each other's burdens in a really healthy way third thing is this pay careful attention we're in verse four now to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers sharing all good things with them I was thinking on the back of that verse six that at this point we should probably stop and take some kind of additional offering. You know, (laughs) the reality is I'm really not going to do that. Other than I will say, thank you so much for every one of you who consistently faithfully serves and um, gives into our church finances here. It actually really does enable us to kind of serve people. And you know the beautiful thing about preaching? I was reminded of it just a week ago is that people often will say to me and Simon and Phil and others who speak regularly, do you know what? It was just like you were speaking to me. Do you know what? We weren't. <laughs> it might have been one brief occasion when I was kind of scanning the room and my eyes happened to lock with yours, but actually we weren't. But you know what? I'm so blessed by the fact that, and we realized that it's because the Holy Spirit is interested in using his preaching, and he convicts people's hearts. There's an amazing lady even in this room who I won't embarrass, but what we will say is that even she said with me a week or so ago that for, for weeks she was just watching online. She'd not been here. But watching online, and every single week she'd been in tears because of the fact that she just felt like those messages were for her. That is a phenomenal thing. That is a Holy Spirit activity. But the things we see in here, of course, and this is where I'm going to leave you your next question, is are you avoiding distraction and comparison? Distraction and comparison, I would argue, are works of the enemy. They are going to drag you away from people, and they're going to drag you away from God. And we need to be on guard. Comparison robs you of joy. For such a long time, I would battle with this. Even now, I think it's possible that you glancing through social media thinking, oh, they've got more money, they've done more things, they've got more friends, why was I not invited to that? And you've got to be so careful that it doesn't distract and get in your way. For years, you know, I would walk into a room and immediately have to gauge myself about, well, where do I fit? How do I compare with everyone else? Who's the sportiest? Who's the wealthiest? Who's the most educated? Who's the most this, that, the other... And it robs you. We've got to get secure in our identity in order to be able to live the life that God is calling us to be. And the antidote is right here in these verses. The scripture, and Paul here says, pay instead careful attention to your own work. And then you actually get the satisfaction of a job well done. This is what we should be doing. All right. Now just for the sake of time, we're going to move on to our fourth one. This is about planting the right stuff and doing good. It says this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will harvest, reap a harvest, a blessing, if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of God. And so the question here, friends, is this. Are you planting the right stuff and persevering in doing good to others? Okay? Now... It's worth saying, you know, right at the off here, a lot of people do mock God. And as a Christian, I actually find it incredibly reassuring to think He cannot be mocked and He will always have the, the last word. The other thing which immediately stands out is that even though I come from a, a family through my mother's side and my grandparents and uncles of, of, of dairy farmers, I still know the basic principles of sowing and reaping, right? And it blows me away, like this image suggests, that one tiny. Seed somehow has the life potential in it as we sow that seed well to create these phenomenal orchards of stunning red apple trees. You know, this principle that he gives us here, this simple formula, that Paul doesn't hold back with. If you plant the wrong stuff, he says, you will harvest decay and death. But you live by the spirit if you're planting sowing the right stuff you will harvest everlasting life what a phenomenal contrast and it's actually true in all areas of life whether you're investing in your work investing at the gym in your diet certainly in your relationships whether it's your spouse or friendships or children even in your relationship with God what you invest you will be able to harvest you know recently I've been Looking for other opportunities to connect, connect with people who are far from God. I don't want to just have friends with people inside the church. I want to connect with people outside the church, right? And so uh, my son has recently started playing for a new football team on a Thursday night. I'm going out there and I'm freezing, guys. I'm watching him from the touchline as he's kind of you know, playing away on a Thursday night. Just over a week ago, I'm stood there, big coat on, watching him do his stuff. And a lady walks up to me and she said, uh, Hey, uh, do you believe in good and evil spirits? <laughs> and I'm like, hi, hi, hi. And it uh, uh, turns out that she knew I was a uh, church leader and she wanted to have a conversation about, with, with me about some very real experiences that she had had. And you know, we end up having this beautiful conversation. I won't go into the detail of it, but we chat for maybe half an hour. And uh, I get the opportunity of praying for her right there in the cold alongside the football game. And uh, she starts weeping as I'm praying. I'm praying. And I'm like, oh, it's just been so lovely to connect with you. And uh, I, I end up driving her and her son home because they live not far away from us in Clapham. And uh, she said to me, she said, look, I, I really want to come and try church. I'd love to come. If that'd be all right. I'm like, of course, it's okay. And she said, you know, I don't think, it, I think it's been years since I felt any kind of peace in the way that I felt when you prayed for me. I just trust that God's on the move, you know. And he gives us opportunities to be able to bless people in wonderful conversations as we don't give up sowing seeds. We live in this generation, don't we, where people expect instant change. I want to flick this switch, take this tablet, do this thing, and then everything will be right and well. Paul doesn't say that to us. He says that Christian fruitfulness is much more like the life of a farmer that does involve, at times, hard work without seeing very much visible return. But actually, with patience, with faith, with prayer, with perseverance, we can know that God's going to give us a bumper harvest as it appears. We've not been saved, guys, by good works. I hope that's been clear to you over this course of this series that's been going through Galatians. But we have been saved for good works. He's literally prepared good things in advance for you to go and do. So we want to use our time, our treasure, our talents to be able to love people around us, especially those who are in the family of faith, it says. I'll give you a couple of final stories and then we're going to land and just take a moment to ask some of these questions in groups after I've prayed. Lexi's been working out what does this look like for her. And so as she's been going into the playground every day at the moment, she's trying to work out, right, who are the people on her special mission that God wants her to love and look after? She came back and said to me, Dad, there was someone who was really cold on the playground today. And so we did star jumps together to keep warm. <laughs> and the following day, she came back. And she was like, well, there was a lady who, uh, this girl, she said, who was just on her own. So I invite her to come in and play with me. You know, I don't care whether you are a nine-year-old or a 99-year-old. Guys, all of us can follow God's spirit to say, how can I be good news and love on other people as we do these good deeds? This year many of you would have been part of the fact that we did these Love Christmas boxes. And uh, the intention was that we would bless people who might find it otherwise difficult in complicated and difficult backgrounds. And uh, we actually had a few boxes left over this year. And so Charlotte and the Retract team had decided to take them to um, a home that looked after adults with learning difficulties and mental health issues. And now every year, she later found out at this particular home, each of the adults needs to buy themselves Christmas presents, wrap them and then they open the presents that they've bought for themselves on Christmas Day because many of them just don't have family or friends to connect with them. And yet, they were so blessed by the fact that they got boxes from us and our community and there was this one particular lady who apparently, because in every one of them we put tracks in and, and just good news about, hey this is the real reason of Christmas. And uh, we were told that she'd been looking at it constantly. And every person who comes in, whether it's a staff member or somebody else, she's just telling about the incredible booklets that we had given. Do you know what? It's good news. It spirals. And it touches lives. And it makes a difference for people. And I want us to be, you know, the sort of church that is non-judgmental, welcoming, but where people see our good deeds. And that brings transformation. Matthew 5, verse 16 says this, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Why? So that everyone might praise your heavenly Father. I had a really sad conversation with a family member of mine who's not part of this church the other day. I was just asking him some questions on reflection almost of this message. I was like, hey, who are the people who are speaking into your life? Who are the people you're being honest with? Who are the people who are helping you? And he said, you know, Steve, he said to me that... he said to me, it was about 35 years ago, when he last went for a drink with a friend just to talk. Guys, we've got to model something different. We've got to be something different. There's too many people who are lost and disconnected from community and away from the manual for life that God's called us to. And so I would love to pray for us. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not even going to do a long winded ministry time of sorts. Because actually what I'd like to do is put the last... Four questions in and assuming that Sandra and Simon are okay with this just get people talking about what they might do on response to this in the time we've got remaining but I'd love to pray for a moment I wrote this down which I thought was good so I'm going to tell you this before I pray every action and every choice that you make is a vote for the person that you want to become every action and every choice that you make is a vote for the kind of person that you want to become So Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for us. And I want to ask God that your spirit would touch our lives, hearts, minds, and strength. And I want to pray, God, that we would continue to be molded into your disciples and the people that you've called us to be from your scripture. I pray, God, that we would be good at both giving and receiving correction. I pray, Lord, that we would be those who bear each other's burdens well, allowing other people to help us in times of need. I want to pray, God, that we would be those people who banish and avoid distraction, the things that rob us from connecting well with you, and that we'd avoid comparison in any which way. And, Father, would it be the case of us that people would know that we are planting healthy seed and persevering in doing good? We'd say it all for our good, but also for your glory. So in the name of Jesus, we submit these things to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.